This is Andrea Harkins. Welcome to the Martial Arts Woman Podcast. This podcast is devoted to martial art women who make a difference. Today, I have the honor of presenting probably one of the most compelling interviews of a woman whose life is filled with ups and downs, but who seems to conquer all, Fran Charlton of Sweden. Fran's interview is compelling. She will capture you with her beautiful storytelling and captivating personality. She was born into a family of creatives. However, her childhood was riddled with trauma, drama, and abuse in her family. She even heard the abuse her mother endured and some of those sounds she can never forget. But her mother turned to karate and learned enough to protect herself against her abuser. She then suggested that Fran learn karate, and Fran has never looked back. She discusses her extreme competition regimen and malnutrition, her long track to get to university, an unplanned pregnancy, and she talks about the effect of long-term or chronic injuries on health and life. She shares about a hip surgery from which she recovered at a rapid pace. Her styles include karate, aikido, and kung fu. She delves into why women stop practicing martial arts. She also opened a karate clinic with an open communication concept, a sports and injury clinic, and her new Budo mindset program that provides tools for a better mindset, as well as creating a physical tracker to assist in creating a unique program for individuals' needs. I know you're going to enjoy this very interesting and dynamic and captivating interview. Please pick up my motivational books, The Martial Arts Woman and Martial Art Inspirations for Everyone, available on Amazon, or contact me for signed copies or more information. Check out my website, themartialartswoman.com, for additional information. Treat yourself or someone else to the power of martial arts in life. Hi, Fran. Welcome to the Martial Arts Women podcast. Hi there. Thank you very much. It's a real honor to be here. Thank you so much. Oh, well, the pleasure is mine. Um, And I'm so excited to talk to you. I like to interview women all over the world. And of course, you're not here in the States. So that qualifies for all over the world. Uh, Yeah. Tell us a little bit about where you were born um, and where you currently live. Okay, well, it's um, quite a colourful history. I was born in Bristol, uh, the United Kingdom, and um, after a short period, we moved to the West Country, if you like, uh, to an area not too far from Bath. And um, when it was time to go to university, I I moved to um, Staffordshire area. I had some very fortuitous um, things happen during that period, which allowed me then to move to Sweden in 2014. So presently, I live um, about an hour and a half north of the main town or city called Karlstad. So quite a place for um, quietening down and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the people per square kilometer is only eight or nine uh, compared to Germany which is like 78 people per Mm -hmm. square kilometer so there's a lot of space and um, 
for I, people come here. I think mostly for this to to get away from um, to come north and get away from all the um, very heavy industrial mass of people uh, that are a little bit more south and and to get in touch with themselves. Right. Right. Well, it sounds perfect for that. Mm-hmm. It really is. Before we delve into your martial art practice, uh, I know that you have a very creative family, but perhaps very dramatic as well. Um, Can you tell me a little bit about that? Because obviously our youth shapes shapes our lives and our adulthood. But tell me a little bit about your family Mm. Mm. and and the creativity. Well, the, um, I was born into a family of artists, and um, what I mean by that is actually the full range. Uh, my great-grandmother was um, an orchestra uh, organiser, conductor. She could teach any orchestra instrument and took me through my, my process of discovering um, musically where I'm at and what instrument I like to use, which happens to be my voice. Uh, my grandmother is an author. Um, her story is fantastic, actually. Um, one of the things um, that's really um, empowering about my family is that we're, we're a family of strong women who were the leaders of the household. That has its um, ups and downsides, mm-hmm. perhaps, but um, they were all, hmm, what can we say, steerers of their own destiny, if you like. So, uh, yes, my grandmother was a, a writer and she, um, well, successfully lived from her writing uh, mm-hmm. from uh, the point that she was forced to leave her husband. And what's really incredible about that story is that she left during a time that her husband, that when women leave their husbands, they had no access to their pensions. So she'd already been with this gentleman for 35 years and it was a very violent marriage. And as soon as she got a, a, a writing contract, she left. Uh, and she had to initially write this book in secret, the first book, in, in oh, the neighbor's wow. garage. And once she was able to leave, she did. And round about that same time with my mother, um, who had me quite young at 19, she was forced to leave my father because um, he... He, well, clearly during that period became a drug addict. Uh, So she had no option, even though she has talked about him as being, you know, the only love of her life, basically. Uh, But she had to move because there was no food in the house. So then we all ended up at my great grandmother's house. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody. And my mother is a fashion designer and um, an incredible tailor. really superb quality about her and um and and I found it uh very striking for me one day she said everything I learned about God and the universe I learned through doing what I do and uh she loved it she was very driven um my uncle all in the same household as well because my uncle was quite young he was nine then was uh, forming in the middle of forming one of the original British punk bands called Subhumans, wow. <laughs> which is still very popular today, and they're still touring and still writing music. So it, we were all together in this one place, and um, 
you know, within that, of course, we have a, a lot of drugs and a lot of alcohol. And I saw many things I shouldn't have seen and, uh, you know, um, witnessed uh, a very broken, very dramatic household um, was at play for all of my childhood, basically. I could say that sums it up, I think. Yeah, that's incredible in so many ways. I mean, the level of creativity mm. uh, and how it's fueled and how it resonates with everybody is 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 so fascinating, though. Yeah. yeah. The, the level. Yeah, they, they were they were they were really great people, and um, even though they were basically narcissists, uh, it seems at that time it went with the territory. It, it mm -hmm. doesn't have to nowadays. And um, I, I was neglected, basically. I was very neglected. If I, uh, you know, it was a good job my grandmother cooked every day. Otherwise, you know, food would have been tricky okay. as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, you mentioned in, in your pre-interview questions that really mm -hmm. this laid the foundation for you mm -hmm. um, of who you are today, perhaps. Mm -hmm. What are, what type of, foundation do you feel like it built for you mm, mm, mm. yeah um as I basically worked through the apparent um let's say the negative effects of that environment can be through not understanding it out of existence you know the problems mm -hmm. um as I worked very strongly with some of my mentors later in life to to really analyze the benefits of that sort of environment, they became strengths. So let's say in its worst case, when I came out, I, I couldn't handle physical contact. Um, I had a very much a confusion of uh, identity, I would say, uh, because my mother was very, very tough. So she never really allowed my ego to develop, my positive. Yeah. We need an ego to develop so we can interact with the world. So that was very, very thin and fragile. So I felt very vulnerable all the time, very exposed. But out of those, these very strange things, which might normally collapse people, um, I, I understood um, that ultimately I am an individual like everybody is anyway. Right. You know, we, we, we may try not to be or think that we're not, but everybody is who they are. And I'm comfortable with that. Mm -hmm. uh, it may cause me uh, pain and confusion sometimes, but I would rather be an individual, a free thinker, than go in the direction that causes more pain and suffering for myself or people around me through ignorance and sleep. Um, so, and it gave me strength. Uh, although my mother was, um, because of the, the upbringing that she had, uh, and what she witnessed with the violence, it became clear that she was quite bipolar in a way, mm -hmm. and it got stronger because she was so tough, but also very, in my mind, successful. I was proud of her. So um, I, I remember one story which really was very marked for me when I realized, oh, I really come from an, uh, a different family. Um, it was um, the yearly trip to France uh, for the higher grades in, I was about 14 or 15. Um, and uh, she had been at, 
being a fashion designer, had been out that night partying. Uh, she had this amazing hair, which was electric blue on one side, and it matched her ball gown for the night. And and she dropped me off to the bus. And, you know, in front of all these parents and all the children, dropped me off in this glittery blue dress with this amazing hair. And I was very much a plain Jane. I was desperately trying to hide, you know, uh, yeah, as a teenager. And she dropped me off and I looked out the window and all the kids' noses were on one side of the bus. Going, who is that? Because she just looked like a movie star. Yeah. And I kind of went, whoa, that's my mother. And she is less... Let's see how we can put this. She made everybody else around her feel uncomfortable because she was so stunning and they felt ordinary, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah. And I suddenly valued that it was okay to express yourself and be different. And it wasn't, it was more me picking up on the discomfort of the people around me right. than me being, dis, you know, uncomfortable. Yeah. So yeah. I felt pride, a, a healthy pride. Uh, in that um so th this really kind of made me brave to step into difficult situations like lean into difficulty rather than walk away from it right wow very interesting story and reflection it, there it was life-changing and I wasn't embarrassed I was like yeah I was actually proud mm -hmm. I was a that was a great a great moment and um obviously a lot of stuff can click into place when there's no resistance <laughs> Right. Yes. Well, interesting stories um, and definitely have brought you to where you are today. And yeah. part of that and part of who you are is your martial art practice. Mm -hmm. So we're going to step back in time again, back to, I guess, your childhood. When when did you begin martial arts and yeah. why? Why did you begin? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, in a way, if we just step back a little bit. We are talking about the days when I was exposed to that really strange mm -hmm. kind of martial arts series called Monkey. Do you remember that? Uh, I don't remember Monkey for some reason. Maybe he flew around oh. on a cloud and he had his staff which shrunk and he fitted it in his ear. Oh, okay. I don't remember. <laughs> That's really old stuff. But then, of course, we're well, talking Kung Fu, um, yeah, David yeah. Carradine. Right. Yeah. For and sure. that was. I found that particularly interesting and wanted to see that every week. Yeah. Um, and that session, or I was fascinated by the training. Mm -hmm. And there was that one session where he had to walk on paper, on sand and not break it. So basically he had to practice light body technique. Yeah. yeah. And then I was also fascinated by the interaction between the teacher pupil and the qualities of that. Uh, then uh through again seemingly tragic circumstances that were victorious um around about 11 years old uh after my mother was in um a very violent uh, relationship it was very difficult for all of us during that time and and I do mean serious beatings and um I I do, the one thing I can't clear from that one thing, and, and I just wanted to put this out there because there's not many people that verbalize this, is I, the thing I do have is a kind of PDSD audio stress around that because I used to hear her being beaten. Yeah. And that uh, I know I've only only heard that from one other person. And I, and I want to say it because as children, if we hear that, there are certain things that are left and there's certain things that can trigger 
our emotions and our mental stuff later on. Like just when I recount it to you now, I can feel my heart rate going up. Yeah. And the great thing was when she started to do something about this. Uh, and she had to step up. So after a couple of years, I think she realised that it was a, a, a really awful situation for all of us. And, and step by step, she did things to take the power back. And one of the things was start karate. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't think too much of it. I must have been about 10 then. Uh, and then after six months, I think she was uh, eighth Q. There was a very, very big fight where uh, I can imagine, well, he was strangling her. So this was probably one of the worst. And a cup got broken in the process of her being flung on her back. And <clears throat> the karate somehow stepped in at that moment i mean we may think hq six months of training is nothing but the the spirit of this she was immobilized being strangled she managed to throw him off and he landed on this smashed mug and he got really cut up very badly and we're like yay okay great uh and then we saw him once after that it was done wow and she uh I don't know how many weeks it was very soon after that. She just said, Hey, you know, Fran, I actually think you might enjoy karate. Why don't you pop down to the hall and, and um, see what you think about it. And um, well, I mean, I just haven't looked back that it was, (laughs) God, it was completely life changing for me. Absolutely fantastic. So that, that's uh, that I was 11 and that's how I got into it. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, another amazing story. The rest of us are like, well, we wanted to try it, you know, but yours comes really from from tragedy to more of a triumph situation. Absolutely. Absolutely fantastic. And it was the uh, because of the very sort of destructive childhood in terms of distractions. Mm -hmm. I was never good at school and or good at anything. I felt that could have just been a self-esteem problem. You know, we don't know, really. That just could have been Mm self-esteem. I may have been good at all sorts of things, but didn't realize it because, yeah. you know, it's the internal yeah. experience that's that's quite yeah. important. And it was the first thing that I felt really like I I was good at it. Yeah. It, but I never really know if it's just because it made me feel so good. I'm not right. sure. About that, you know. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't have a traumatic childhood like you, but I had a similar experience in that I, I always felt average. Yeah, I, that's just how I felt about myself. I don't, I mean, I don't think my parents ever really pushed me to be, you know, super good at anything. They were just always okay if I was average. So I think average was just my, my thing, you know? Yeah. And I didn't yeah. begin martial arts till I was 26. But suddenly when I recognized that I was good at it, then my world changed. Then I was like, wait a minute, I can do this and so much more. Yeah. And that's a great output of martial arts. If it, if it works right, it is life-changing. And it does let you know that you can do so much more than you ever realized. Yeah, yeah, re- really incredible. Um, and I think, um, obviously, the contrast between um, who my family were and then hanging out with people mm-hmm. that were relatively normal. Right. Uh, that 
didn't have any weren't interested in drama pretty much straight and narrow in athletes um doing things in their life that were good for them and um well in the 80s and 90s I guess uh, was when I was around you know in the Mm -hmm. UK it was a massive massive movement the Shotokan karate movement because we had Anoida sensei there and it, it was a it was a huge family that you know on the training circuit you would just yeah. meet people every month uh i mean walking in it was so popular you could be in a room of 500 black belts wow waiting for anoida sensei to come in and you can imagine as a sort of impressionable well when did i i was maybe i don't know 14 or 15 when mm-hmm. i had shodan waiting for this great uh yeah. character to come in the room and to see grown men intimidated yeah uh and and for the atmosphere to just suddenly become completely electric it was like magic like you know the stuff of movies mm-hmm. and to experience being in a space with somebody where i would have rather died than not trained with every single ounce of my being you yeah. know uh and that was wonderful too that that was like that sort of uh, challenge, um, even as a, as a child then, it was very rare then for my generation, that, that type of awe and wonder and um, having that level of expectation put on me. And I would always put myself at the front, uh, middle, where mm-hmm. the teachers tend to hang around the most. So you're going to get your ass kicked and get noticed. And uh, I deliberately did that. There was a strategy because I wanted to learn the katas faster and I figured that my brain was more active under pressure so I would put myself there and just be in awe of this character and that we don't meet many of those in real life anymore mm-hmm. yeah now, you mentioned co- competitions obviously um and you competed for maybe 10 years mm-hmm. and you won uh, various yeah. competitions and you placed nationally mm-hmm. um and yet you said that you still felt empty or unfulfilled even though you were competing and and placing nationally Mm. what do you think was happening there yeah um I'm not quite sure obviously the roots of it uh but I you know I I understand goal understood goal setting obviously Mm -hmm. because of the martial arts I got it and I had these particular aims in mind um I really wanted to represent my country um, and in order to do that, uh, I needed to take a certain route of uh, a competition routes of success. Okay. And um, it takes a little bit of time to mature into competition as well. Um, one of the massive difficulties I felt at this time, and this is really relevant for mature mm-hmm. karateka, uh, what I'm about to say, is that the women that were winning, that were the best were 35 to 45 years old. They were at their peak. Wow. And as a young, well, 16, 17-year-old, that was incredibly ambitious to think that I might be able to um, win at all against these characters. Yeah. Uh, you know, there were no weight categories. I was thrown into the adult class at 16 years old. Um I trained like a demon. I was undernourished. I was incredibly light. And I'm, tr- I, you know, I'm competing against women that are fully grown, uh, very powerful, uh, years of muscle memory and mm-hmm. 
really built like brick houses. Um, and, I, and I knew it was going to be tough, but I focused and focused and focused. So after about really, if we say three years of seriously go, this is my aim. Mm-hmm. I, I want to get placed nationally in order to have access to the national team, just to get a sniff at maybe being considered. It was quite a strong route and a lot of competition. I mean, a lot of people at that time. Um so, you know, you, if we're talking about just, say, the 15, the, the children's section, just to get through to a final, you might have to go th- between, wow, five, six rounds just to start being included in the, 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 the sort of final consideration. So it was really a difficulty. And then there was a day I wanted to be in, um, I can't remember the name of the magazine now, I needed to get placed nationally. I, I wanted to get put in a magazine and uh, I wanted to get access to the squad mm-hmm. training session. So I had this thing I needed. I, I came placed nationally for the first time and I was waiting for this um, feeling of, I guess, deep fulfillment, deep satisfaction a sense of achievement that I had climbed the mountain and made it. And now I would perceive it as more of, I was actually looking for a, a much more spiritual experience, mm, Okay. Of, you know, and it didn't happen. Um, it, I was empty and I thought, what, you know, what am I doing? Why am I putting all this effort, external effort into something that in the end ultimately means nothing to me you know deeply it's this bit of metal or a cup or a picture in a magazine um I was so injured I was so overtrained, and um there was nothing there it was an empty dream and at the same time uh I'm not quite sure about your experience but we only were allowed obviously touch control in traditional Shotokan karate mm-hmm. and I was so highly trained in touch control I also realized in that moment that, hey, if I was actually attacked, I would only yeah. be able to engage in touch control confrontation. It would be a useless even as a self-defense. And I couldn't I couldn't justify treating my body like that anymore. Um, a terrible injuries. And I just said to my instructor that day, that's it. I'm not doing competition anymore. I retire. I'm out. I want to train karate because I want to learn about karate. I've misunderstood what I was looking for here. What style did did you then move into? Right. It was kind of insane. Uh, I I was so injured. Um, Over a period of a year, I moved into Aikido. Um, And I would say that it is exactly the opposite of karate. It's so opposite um, Mm -hmm. in its mentality, its energetic... uh, where you're coming from in yourself, you're internalizing rather than externalizing. At least that was my understanding of karate at that time, okay? When I talk about internalization now, karate for me is all about internalization and moving from the center. But it wasn't then, and that's not how we were taught. Uh, Things have really matured and moved on, and our teachers are so much better at karate now. So I I have to take that back. But Aikido was really flowing um wow and 
it took me, I remember being blown away, a year and a half before I could even see what the teacher was actually doing with his hands and his feet and the way he was moving it and absorbing the movement of the attacker. Uh, yeah, that was ex extremely challenging. And so was my instructor, actually. He was my first spiritual mentor, I would say, who actually started to take care of me um, and make sure that I, I took my body's messages a little bit more seriously. Right. right. Mm. So, so I guess your body had a chance to heal yeah. during this time. Yeah, yeah, it was, um, you know, he put me on like a, a new diet because I was uh, malnu uh, undernourished. I had yeah. suffered malnutrition and the related injuries around that. I had trained as a young athlete in a way that young athletes actually shouldn't train. Mm -hmm. um, and he just turned all that around. It was like, right, saunas two to three times a week. Uh, let's get your food sorted out. Let's teach you about meditation and mindfulness. Um, and let's start developing your character so that your massive ego, which had developed <laughs> into quite something at that time, yeah, yeah, yeah. can start being whipped into shape a little bit and yeah. start being becoming a kinder, less arrogant person, which I, I had become uh, pretty mean and quite arrogant through my through my karate training. I'm very aggressive and eruptive, you know. Right. What time in your life, because I know you also began training in Kung Fu in the yeah. university. So was that after your yeah. Aikido? Right, right. So um, I'd become deeply involved in the running of the Aikido club. But my teacher also at that time had said, hey, look at your exam results. Let's get you back to school. So um, he made sure that I went back through. Um, I did the basic education again. I did the... Um, <sighs> I don't know that we have different names in England to the US. Mm -hmm. So I basically went back and did my exams that I should have cleared at 14 and 15 years old that I just couldn't because of my living situation. So I went back and did those. Okay. Suddenly, mm -hmm. I realized I was an academic because my results were very, very high. I had yeah. no idea I had that ability. And then I went through back to the next level, which is between 16, 17 and 18 and got high results in that area of my life as well, that, that niveau, that level. Uh, and, and he, he just wanted to make sure that I, I got educated and um, started developing my brain. Right. So by the time I'd really worked in, in, a, in, a, in a balanced way, uh, I needed to move away to university. So um, it was quite far as sort of the middle of it's sort of North England. I found my, the university I was happy with it in Staffordshire Unfortunately, we had to shut the Aikido club because it was totally reliant on on my instructor and I to to run it, and no one would take over. It was the most successful Aikido club in uh, Britain at that time, um, in terms of membership, and it was the kids' club. But that was down down to me. I'm going to own that. I built that kids' club from two students up to thirty students in a small town. That that was really quite something. Um, and then when I moved to university, I said, right, I've been training nonstop for like 22 years in something. I'm going to take a mini break, look around the city to see what there is. And I found this amazing Kung Fu club that, um, so Shaolin Kung Fu, 
-hmm. tiger crane style. Um, And my teacher's teacher was one of the the masters that got out from China during the revolution um, and moved to Taiwan. So it was an intact system. Um, Basically, you know, in karate, we get snippets of this intact system in um, in some of the katas and uh, some of the way we train. But there were huge gaps. Uh, and we had to practice, um, start the day with uh, qigong and then move into tai chi. Mm-hmm. Then the style, the type of training that karate is, was for sort of um, afternoon type training in terms of body energy, yeah? Right. And then the evening training was dedicated to iron shirt training, which is where you you train your body to be able to absorb con- um, contact, heavy contact, but also be able to break things with your hands and break chopsticks on your throat and sticks across your back. So for my first iron shirt grading which was after one year we had to with with what might be famously known as a karate chop but basically with a chop of the hand break a house brick you know like one of these red house bricks the the gaps were really um the position of the spine so posture uh how you grip the floor we have a very long stance in shotokan which is not really appropriate it makes this type of training much more difficult. So the stance is more like uh, oh, much smaller stance, more like the Okinawan type karate stances. Mm-hmm. But it was the breathing uh, that was very, very important. And actually the position of the tongue in the mouth when you breathe. Um, we weren't allowed to make a fist for the first, oh, I don't know, six months, something like this. Because we had to learn how to bring the energy from the core with the breathing out through the arms to the fingertips. And the problem with making a fist too early is you don't learn how to do that because the fist can like almost mirror the energy back into oneself. Like, you know, a bit like kicking thin air, it's very difficult to bring the energy back. You right. have this strenuous movement. So Kung Fu really filled in the gaps of my, and footwork actually, footwork training uh that the karate was missing for me about where power really comes from as in the lower dantian rather than say the shoulders for example which mm-hmm. is right. often a big misunderstanding in the karate so eventually from all uh, you went back to school obviously that's what we're mm-hmm. talking about um mm-hmm. and you understood then the importance of education mm-hmm. um as well as your martial arts and your life. Mm-hmm. What type of degrees did you eventually earn? You mentioned that you passed the tests that you would have should have passed in your earlier years, perhaps, but yeah. didn't have the confidence or weren't able to. Um, yeah. But eventually you, you earned more degrees than that. Um, yeah. Tell me a little yeah. bit about the degrees that you hold. Yeah. So <clears throat> the first run of um, education in hindsight, was actually about freeing my mind up. So um, the first three years was dedicated to fine art. 
Um, and actually, to get to fine art in England, it is an academic subject, mm-hmm. although and artistic, as in creative, um, materially creative. It's classed as an academic subject in England and very difficult to get on these courses because you have to be able to perform in both areas very exceptionally well. So it was a, a, B, a bachelor's degree in fine art, uh, which was the first three years. And it was harder to get to an arts degree because you had to actually do an extra two years of study before that uh, to discover which area of arts you were going to go into, oh, whether okay. it was fashion design or... Um, design or fine arts or illustration or photography or film there's a whole a whole very long course around in the middle of that course by the way if we just step back just before Mm -hmm. my degree um I had my first child okay (laughs) um which I thought was a disaster initially, and a, there's a fun story around it, but it's a little bit too private to go. I think <laughs> okay. out here. there is a very fun story around yeah. this. Uh, um, I know how you get pregnant, but um, yeah, there's there's a there's a story about this. Uh, and halfway through the pre-course for my degree, I became pregnant, and I thought, right, damn. I came to that point that. I think many women come to where one feels inadequate and not not old enough or inexperienced, too inexperienced or maybe too messed up to have kids. Mm-hmm. And I had been working like 12 years already to get to university, you know, right. with these different things that I needed to do. And I had to seriously consider whether to give the child up or not. And it was... Um, quite difficult because I also didn't want to end up going the way that my mother had gone with family situations and there's five of us with different fathers and stuff like this and I really didn't want to go down that route either not ready Uh, I've been working for years to get to university and get get educated Mm -hmm. and then a friend of mine called me and said listen you know there's so much support for you to be at university as as a mother you don't need to worry about it. It's just going to set you back a year or two. Well, you know, that's not a problem, right? I don't know. I thought, oh, really? And then I looked into it and actually I had way more financial support. There was a nursery, day- daycare there, everything for parents, for people in my situation that wanted to go to school. So... Um, I decided to go ahead with my my life changing wonderful son, mm-hmm. um, and actually I was uh, five months pregnant when I passed my black belt in Aikido with him, <laughs> so it was back a little bit. Yeah, you know? yeah. And that that was very empowering too, that whole situation of being pregnant because uh, in Aikido, if you're going to after the after your ninth cue, if you like, your final brown belt, mm-hmm. you have to train for two years before taking your black belt. And I'd already trained, you know, a year and a half. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, be blown if I'm going to give this up. <laughs> right. And I just managed to sneak in under the wire. And like a week later, my, my body totally exploded and he got huge on <laughs> <in> me. <laughs> so so that, that was awesome. Yeah. And then to move through education with a child and keep training. You know, two weeks after mm-hmm. I had him, I was back training. Actually, the night I gave birth to him, I taught a class because my instructor was uh, traveling. 
Oh my goodness. Uh, uh, you know, I was, uh, but I was 23. Yeah. I think you can at that age. Yeah. And so university was just uh, so awesome in this respect of what I discovered and this Iron Shirt Kung Fu and being there with a child, a single parent, basically. Uh, wow. It, that, that was a really... <laughs> <laughs> really great time in my life so yeah. that was art and it really opened my mind it, it was it was um it was almost my mind was completely shut before that and it just it blossomed so then I was lucky enough to get funding to do my master's in fine art uh, but I had to do it in a year uh, so the pressure was really on and I did very I was very successful in that as well I mean and this was really down to martial arts you know Right. Uh, like you said earlier on, where you understand what you can do and when you get the first sniff of success, uh, you know, you kind of get how to apply yourself mm -hmm. to move forward and that all you've got to do is do the work. Keep moving. Like in martial arts, we keep turning up, we keep going to the dojo. And I think we, in we instinctively start to understand you just keep turning up and you will achieve and so this took me to this point um, of of just knowing just to keep plodding is actually the wrong word, but it's almost like skipping forward. Right. And, and the martial yes. arts helped helped me to understand this. Um, but round about this time, I also wanted to understand injuries and why I had some injuries that wouldn't shift. So directly after my master's. I took a sports therapy course, um, really to aid my martial arts training and just kind of get what was going on in the body and um, tr start to train more intelligently, um, which kind of years later has turned into um, my, my current research degree, which was a Master of Science, so an MSc in Sustainability, Health and Wellbeing, which I just completed last year. Uh, because I'm actually interested now in how how do we live, what do we need to do in order to, to, to live sustainably as an individual, as a person? We have the global issue, but what about as an individual? And I believe it starts with the people. Okay, interesting. Long answer, sorry, but... Um, no, no, it's, very, no, it's, I wanted to hear all about it for sure. Uh, you know, the thinking is if you've had an injury for two months, then it is chronic. So that's a fact. And we can just let weeks roll into weeks and then it becomes chronic and it's harder to fix. So actually the thing to do is hop on it immediately. Engage in a little bit of self-love, you know. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, go and get some treatments and take it's seriously this issue of inflammation and the fact that um, we live in high level difficult stress situations anyway we this but to actually have an injury as well which you can really do something about it's not too challenging so there are blue zones all over the world they found about five and these are areas around the world where people live Many people live to over 100 years old without any chronic diseases, no problems. Okay. Uh, and there's various reasons in each zone why that might be. 
But Okinawa is the most famous or and most was, is, I'm not sure now, most effective lifestyle for longevity. So you can kind of understand, like, if they were training well, uh, and even if they weren't, they would live long lives coming out of a blue zone like Okinawa. Hence, you know, we, we have this claim. There's a lot involved in that. I mean, the diet is very special. The way they engaged in exercise is very different. This moving naturally idea. Um, very different family ties. Very much linked to some sort of spiritual practice every day, which would have been like ancestral ancestry worship or prayers, um, communal community worship. There's a lot of pe- reasons why people live longer in these zones. Let's talk briefly about your your hopes to open a clinic, your your martial art club, mm-hmm. and some of the other things yeah. that you're working on. Yeah, yeah, so. great. Yeah, the um, so when we moved to the town I'm at now, uh, or not far from, in 2014, I I realised that if uh, there was no karate club, I thought, gosh, if I want to train, I'm going to have to open the club myself, mm-hmm. and this has been an extraordinary experience because I've never opened anything like this from scratch before. No environment, no um, attitude for it. Uh, You know, normally you go into a club and maybe if you take over the club, it's been there for quite a few years already. Yeah. So you're walking into that environment that already exists and I've had to go in and build it from zero. And I loved it because I've built it as a woman and um, I think I hadn't realized it at the time but it's it's in a way quite different to how a man would do it um shall I quantify that yeah um there's much more engagement from the students okay so I'm much more uh question them about their thoughts what they learned on the last camp we were at. Because one of the issues we had is that, uh, so I was a higher grade, but at that time I was um, Nidan, um, second Dan. And uh, I would have to be in different classes to them. So they would be in color belt classes. And when we joined the World Traditional Karate Organization, the WTKO, I wanted to know from them what they learned about their katas that I didn't know that I might be doing in my old way. So it's been much more a conversation in the development of the club. Uh, I also don't, you know, stand up there and act like the big boss and make these decisions without discussing it with anybody. Um, There's much more engagement. Um, I don't try and dominate them through knowledge, which is what I'm used to in um, martial arts clubs because I've only been members of obviously certain ones and definitely you know run by men and I, I think that this is a slight different um, women are definitely more nurturing in this environment much more considerate of what's going on for people I would say and a bit more aware of people's uh, states of mind and physical conditions and making sure people are okay before moving forward uh mm-hmm. yeah yeah you know i think also if i may say women tend to be quite technical i learned this in aikido 
that um, because we don't have the strength, we tend to think quite a lot about what Technique, and be quite yeah, yeah disciplined yeah. about how to do technique so it's effective. Right. Um, so th this was really a big pressure and a big experience for me to do it on my own. And we're sick. We celebrate six years this month. Well, you're doing mm -hmm. something right then. <laughs> yeah, and actually, my first ladies that walk, worked through the door, walked through the door, are still here. And yeah. they, we had our first black belts in the club in March. And uh, so now we have four these guys. Um, the main, yeah, they, really extraordinary uh, process. Oh, awesome, awesome. And did we talk about this, but. Are you also planning a sports and injury type clinic? Yeah. And, and yeah. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so I've had uh, injury and sports clinics before, but due to um, a hip operation last year, I had to like uh, close things down a little bit. So in town now, um, we're just uh, renovating and decorating a space, which I've deliberately set up so that on one side, um, I will be dealing with injuries. Uh, I'm a specialist uh, in my fascia release um, type of massage, so so that I don't have to crack backs and necks. Right. And muscle alignment instead. Yeah. Um, and you're also working on the, the the deeper on the meridians as well. Um, so so this is my favourite way of working, and I love taping kinesio taping. This can help me a lot in my work with clients. So on one side, we're going to have this. And on the other side, I'm going to keep a space where I can start filming um, instructional videos and uh, my mindset uh, training videos for people uh, and do Zoom calls, you know, coaching calls and things okay. like this. So this is really exciting. I'm very glad to be getting going again and being strong enough to do this again. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's great. And I, I know that you recuperated from your hip surgery rather quickly. Um, mm -hmm. And, and even past your, your fourth dawn. Yeah. Um, yeah, I not too long after. That's right. I kind of blew my own mind about what's possible for us. Because um, I know a lot of us have hip operations in karate and knee operations. And this is something that I mean to address. Um in in some in in the videos I'm going to start putting up because there's reasons for this. Yeah. And um, I, I was born with hip dysplasia, but not the type. It wasn't bad enough to get picked up as I was when I was a child when I was born. It really got missed. Um, so the only side effect I had was not being able to walk distances. You know, more than say 20 25 minutes walking, and I just thought it was tendons were too tight or something and it was to do with you know strong thigh muscles or something which we tend to have in karate but it turned out that my um, hips are at the wrong angle that they're, they're too open and so about in 2000 where were we about 2015 I injured the it's the labral it's like the cushion in the right hip and it also turned into sort of bursitis and so on and so on. Uh -huh. um, and it also affects, affects the lower back. So I thought my lower back problems all my life was from Aikido training and just overtraining. Turns out it was from the hip position. Um, so to correct this corrective surgery is basically where they, uh, if anyone's squeamish, cover your ears. 
they cut off the hip joint. They saw the hip joint off and they reposition it and screw it in place into the correct position so that the leg, the top of the leg bone now, now on my right side sits central, centrally okay. in the joint rather than on one side. This, this has been life changing, absolutely wonderful. Um, I trained for the operation, you know, I with, went with a sort of karate mindset of getting ready like you would for a competition or a grading. You know, I, tr I, I really got myself fit with the mind to rehab the fastest I could afterwards. And um, I was in a wheelchair for six to eight weeks on crutches for quite a few months after that. And uh, very, very carefully got to training as, as quickly as I could. Um, freaked my surgeon out, of course. <laughs> my surgeon, what are you doing? You're doing what? Yeah. Like, yeah, well, I can do this now and I, I can do that and I can't do this. And because he told me I could do whatever I want, but I don't think he thought I would take him seriously. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, good for you, see? <laughs> well, right. This is it. You know, if you, um, he said I could do whatever I want. I thought he meant it, but he didn't. Uh, so I did. And I, you know, I think as karate people, we've got great body knowledge. Um, we really know how our body moves, especially around the hips, because we use them so much. And uh, I knew what I could and couldn't do. I blew it a couple of times um, and honestly thought my karate career was over um, because I didn't realize actually how serious an operation it uh, is. But um, when he showed me the x-rays of the different times I went in and where the bones were at in terms of healing, if I'd seen that as I went along, I don't think I would have done yeah. what I did. Um, and then after so March, let's see, April, May, June, July, August. So after uh, eight, 17 months, I then did my fourth down grading. Uh, so it's just September now with... Um, the most you remember we t you asked me about competitions and mm -hmm. that lack of fulfillment yes i found that place in this grading um and i wasn't nervous at all i was like a, a kid in a candy store or, yeah. or you know the kids you know like before about seven years old we're going hey look mm -hmm. at me look at me mm -hmm. look at me mm -hmm. i felt like that yeah yeah I did my grading from the perspective of the audience. You know, when you see gradings, how exciting they are. Yeah. And everybody wants to see you pass and be great. Um, and at our gradings, um, Richard Amos Sensei is quite intellectual as well. So if you're nervous and your brain freezes, it's going to be a massive problem. So mentally, you have to be very free and... I, I did it um, and I've been analysing since then what I did leading up to this event to achieve this state of physicality and yeah. mentality. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, I'm in such a good space in my head that that's actually elevated my karate level rather than all the training in the world. It's been a very interesting journey and... Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think it's it's been one of um, 
oh, these are such common words, but until you really experience it, they're just words. I think real ownership, okay. uh, real responsibility for my own outcome. I decided um, how I wanted it to go for me right. personally. What was my own, what was my personal goal within this? And if I managed that, uh, then that, whether I passed or failed, it wouldn't actually be anything success for me personally. And it came out of that. I think it's uh, Funakoshi's fifth preset, which is technique. No, mind before technique. And it got that really got me thinking about two years ago what that meant. And I think I, I think I just took that process uh, deep, deeply in. And also Bruce Lee, you know, mind like water. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> of course. I mean, we always have to consider Bruce Lee. Don't we? Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> Let's just round out the interview today. There's still more information, but I will post your entire um, bio. It will be posted on my blog page Thank along you. with the link to the podcast. Thank you. So I just want to finish out with your your Budo Mindset um, company yeah. organization that you're beginning. If you want to tell us a little bit about that. Mm. Mm. And, um, yeah, thank you very much. Um, yeah. Well, this, um, I joined a business accelerator course a couple of months ago because I realized I had a lot of IP, you know, intellectual property. And, uh, I've, and I'm looking for different ways to, I think nowadays in, in this day, we need to have different things that we're doing. Uh, and I do think that service to our community and getting information out there is, is a great thing to do. It's an honorable path. And I'm, um, there's two directions that Budo Mindset is going to go. Uh, initially, I really thought it was all going to be about health and well-being and um, sorting injury issues out for people. Because the research, you know, has come back that that's what people ha are struggling with, how to deal with injuries, um, uh, what sort of supportive lifestyle do we need as karateka, particularly women, uh, in order to keep training, because I was so shocked. In the UK alone, if we look at, um, okay, so this research comes from uh, Facebook statistics, you know, where you can easily go in and find out what people are searching, how many people are searching, and you can really niche it down. And if we just look at women, but um, you can do the different age group groups. If we look at women practicing karate or interested in karate, and then I run through the different age groups. Every five years, we lose 20,000 women just in the UK interested in karate. Uh, which I don't know about you, but I found that like incredibly uh, shocking. Yeah. So I started to ask questions on various forums, you know, for, for the ladies. What's actually happening mm -hmm. for you? Um, to try and get an idea of why women might be giving up. I mean, uh, according to my sensei, uh, John Mullins sensei, he's in the US. And I said, what do you think about women and their strengths? You know, I see men in karate as peaking about, you know, in their 50s. They, they really, you know, if they've been training their whole lives, something in their 45, 55, 60, they become awesome. And we're losing women rapidly at that age. 
you know, after the age of 35, they are dropping off. Yeah. And I think um, there's a lot around this. And I'm wondering, uh, I asked questions about injuries. Mm-hmm. And we have all sorts of complications as women uh, that make it difficult for us. For example, um, if the body, if the lady's body is, um, say, in general, tired, there may be only, may, well, could be only one week a month where when we train, we really feel like we train well, optimally. Yeah. And the other times could be a rebalance of of or, or a, a sort of slightly up and down scale around menstruation yeah. um, that affects how we can turn up and what we can do of our body. We, my experience is that we have a lot more to consider also yes. physically. Mm-hmm. And this propensity that women have is uh, naturally, it's really okay, it's totally natural, is to make sure that everybody is okay yes. before we go and do what we want to do. Yeah. Uh, and the thing is that I feel that women have so much to offer in this environment and in some cases kind of need it more than men to defend themselves, potentially. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and that it all, I think it all just becomes too much, like you said, that there's so many other pressures and this is something that I really want to address in this, um, in my business, is how to support women in this situation. Uh, and I think that part of the Mubudo mindset thing is, well, it's about mindset. It's about uh, women. Um, and I know in Sweden we have a different balance here. Mm-hmm. Women are very strong, very forward, and the men and the women are much more equal in terms of who does what and who shares the loads. And the women are very important. Whereas in the UK, I didn't find it like that. But I I think that the more we can communicate and tell these stories like you're doing, and this is part of the Buddha mindset idea, um, to give women information of how they can move forward and how they can scenario and rebalance and address issues, take certain issues seriously, take themselves seriously, um you know the, the grading i've just done has made me pull apart what i've done as a woman and how i have educated my family to treat me mm-hmm. and as soon as i took my serious self seriously as an athlete this is this is a mindset to say i'm an athlete and this is what i need to do and this is how the family need to move around me not just me but so they took yeah. me seriously. So I had to take myself really seriously first. And then my family kind of went, oh, all right then. And they enjoy supporting me to take the class or yeah. know, this sort of thing. So in Buddha mindset, it's definitely something I, I want to address is, is how to get people's head in gear. And I do have some men that have joined the course as well already, the first course that I've put up, because I noticed that uh from this powerful experience i had with my grading in september there was some work around this and some information to put out because a lot of people get really freaked by gradings competitions uh confrontations at work uh confrontations in general just saying no for example and be comfortable with that and 
how to professionalize themselves in the karate environment. So uh, I, for initially, instead of focusing on the physical stuff, I suddenly got, this is a mindset issue. Most of this is a mindset issue, whether it's sorting injuries out or turning up how you want to turn up at grading. So, you know, I, I have the physical therapy side, but I've become, as always in myself, very interested in the mindset side of martial arts which I feel is very lacking in our conversation in martial arts. I was uh, probably halfway through my business course when I wanted to figure out how to articulate this, where I just changed direction and realized that it's about mindset, not so much the physical problems. Yes, people need to deal with their physical problems, like we discussed in the research earlier, need to be taking that more seriously, but that's a mindset as well. Um, and this discussion needs to be cracked open. Um, and I think women are very equipped to do it. I'm, you know, I, I remember as a kid training that, you know, karate was the be all and end all of, of everything. And my great uh, sort of sobering um, John Mullins Center, I've mentioned before, who who is quite sure that women get stronger and stronger as well, the same as men. He, yeah. he thinks that women don't drop off. They don't get weaker at a certain age that like men peaking in their 50s, women do as well. And that, that they're in, in his eyes, there's there's no no real difference in terms of what can be physically achieved, which is great to hear from a guy that's been training since uh, 60. Sometimes he's had 60 years experience now. Um, and his mindset is really cool. Um and this is something that I aspire to, that when he, he teaches a room full of people, um, what was possible for them at the beginning of the class, 10 x by the end of the class because he made everybody feel themselves. Yeah. I guess you could say he's very nurturing, but he's, he's like super considerate. And that is, that is a wonderful thing that we can do for anybody. If somebody can 10x their performance just by feeling great, that is about headspace. At, at the classes, I work to keep the atmosphere very um, jolly is not quite the word, but um, positive. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he he's very good at coming, going up to people and making very nice adjustments and people feel integrated and seen. When people feel seen in the class, I think that elevates their performance and changes their mindset as well. And that, that, that's a really cool thing. And one of the things I like about uh, Mullen Sensei is that um, karate is not the be all and end all of his life. There's a perspective there. And I think when, when people come into the dojo and bring their life perspective with them, their experience, uh, their confidence in the dojo changes as well. So your Budo mindset, is it a series of programs then, or what is the actual mm. Budo mindset program? Well, first of all, I banged out just a very short uh, three-part free course um, about building confidence, and there's such okay. simple things in there. Uh, and that's just available on, on my webpage. People can just click on and then the the brief course that I, I put together about creating a positive mindset and then posture to create a positive mindset and uh, 
very briefly about visualization, the importance of visualization to achieve your goals. Okay. So some, some very basic stuff. And then now I'm, I've just developed the first run through a much more in-depth course on developing confidence. So it's a lot, we do, <laughs> do quite a lot of work around trying to come in at different angles so people can change their mindset around it. I have more women. I have more martial arts women than, than guys. Um, and so we have a, like a, a language-specific conversation, mostly with Karataka. And uh, because that's in its infancy, that program, because I've just put the first one out and then we're working through and I will adjust the program according to feedback and how people respond. Yeah. Maybe The next program, which I'm going to develop, is... I'm very excited about and this will include as well as mindset training a um I will send out a, a like a ECG tab that people will wear for a minimum of three days we will analyze their stress patterns sleep patterns oxygen levels all their health patterns uh we will do a bespoke training diary for them which will be like a six-month plan based on these readouts uh, that then they have like an accountability mm -hmm. document within the diary. It will be made just for them so they can check their performance and elevate themselves. Basically, we're talking about raising energy levels. Uh, and it will include health practices as well, as well as training schedules, as well as mindset set work, but really specifically for the for the individual and their needs, which, and I'm very excited about that. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today, to share your interesting stories and, mm. and all the things that you've been working on. It's very exciting and fascinating. And I know uh, the listeners are going to find it very interesting in many regards. Thank you very okay. much for your time, Andrea. Uh, Thank you. Big respect for you and your work. It's awesome. Thank you. And, and to you as well. Have a wonderful evening. I, guess I will. Later in the day Star there, Wars, so. I think. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Fran. See you. Talk soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye, -bye. Bye.